Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today is actually a special day. I've got somebody who is absolutely a legend in our industry, somebody who I have tremendous respect for and so really grateful that he sat down for us and having this conversation. He's the former CEO of Keller Williams International and currently Chief Real Estate Officer at Ojo Labs, um, Chris Heller. Thank you for being here. Hey, Michael. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to, to spend some time with you. Likewise, brother. Likewise. I know that we were just talking and reminiscing right before we jumped into this call. And, you know, you and I spoke right before I jumped into my, my current position. And we were talking about expansion and all of that amazing things, things that you've done so well for so many years in your career. But I want to start from the beginning. How did you get started in real estate? Oh, that's a long time ago. Um, I've got the time, so, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, um, it's actually kind of funny um, when I think back on it. I, I was a sophomore in college. I got a call from my dad and he said, hey, you're going to get your real estate license and come up here and work for the summer. And up here was Lake Tahoe and he was managing a timeshare resort. So I'm this hyper shy, you know, uh, super introverted, you know, college kid. And I say, okay. And so I study for my license. I, I get it. I go up to Lake Tahoe and um, he says, okay, follow the salesperson and this, this customer on this 90 minute tour and to see what they do. And I did that. And I come back 90 minutes later, he goes, okay, now it's your turn. So, um, <laughs> So he threw me into the deep end of the water. To make a long story short, I, I did that for a few years, very successfully um, moved down to San Diego, did it down there. And while I was selling timeshares, I, I, it was, I remember, you know, there's certain times in your life where you remember things really vividly. Yeah. It, was, it was the end of the day, all the other salespeople had left. I was um, in the lobby of this resort up on the second floor, looking down to the, the entrance. And I see this um, couple walk in. And I remember saying to myself, okay, there's my next sale. So I walked down the stairs and introduced myself and, um, you know, told him about the project. And, and he was found out he was a real estate broker, had an office down the street. And he said, Hey, I want to own one of these, but here's how I want to own it. I want you to come to my office and pitch all my agents on it so that they bring you customers. And then you pay me a referral fee on each one. And when, when there's enough referral fees, I'll buy one of these. So I did that and, and met him. And, and for three years, he essentially recruited me. He would, he would send me handwritten note cards. He would call me every time I saw him. He said, hey, you should come work for me. You should come work for my brokerage. And, and it ended up being at, at one point, three years later, he sort of caught me at a weak moment. And I said, okay, I'll give it a try. I said, but I'm not going to sell houses. You know, if I'm going to do this, I want to sell big stuff. I want to sell buildings and, and big things. Now, I knew nothing about commercial real estate, like is, is less than zero. Um, and he said, okay. And, and after 30 days, he, he said, oh, here's what you do. Figure out where you want to work. So I picked this area, this industrial area around the airport called Palmar Airport in Carlsbad. And he said, that's a good area. It's new, lots of businesses. He goes, take this sheet and go into each business and ask them these questions. And then basically it was like, you know, how long is your lease? How many employees do you have? Are you growing? Are you shrinking? What are your needs? And for 30 days, I would 
I would, you know, start at seven in the morning and do it till like five at night, as long as the businesses were open. And I would, I would go in these business, ask those questions. I had no clue why I was asking those questions. I had no clue what to do with the information. Uh, I, I, I just did what he said to do. And at the end of 30 days, I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm not connecting any dots here. And meanwhile, the number one residential agent, um, her seat was across from me. Her cubicle was across from my cubicle. <clears throat> and she also f- geographically farmed the neighborhood where I owned a townhome. So as a consumer, I got to see what she was doing. And then as an agent, I got to hear what she was doing. And I thought, I could do this. I, I, could, I could do this. So, um, so a month later, I retired as a commercial agent and became a residential <laughs> agent. And, um, and that was the beginning. Uh, became rookie of the year in San Diego that year and, um, and then kept, kept growing from there. But it was his persistence and his consistency, which were two things I learned from him that got me into the business that I used to, to help generate business. I, you know, I love that story. It's like wax on, wax off, right? It's like, why am I doing this for 30 days and not knowing why I'm doing it? But then you sort of seeing your real opportunity in the residential side. And, you know, you just sort of glossed over one really big thing. You literally were the rookie of the year in your first year in residential real estate. So let, let's just start there for a second. I want to know what qualities you found that you possessed, right, to do so well from the start in this industry. You obviously had the discipline. You could listen to, to someone and know that at least I trust in the process. But tell me what qualities you think you possessed. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's an interesting question. Back then, the qualities that I possessed was I was super driven. And, and, and that's, that's probably been the case for a long time. I was going to say something. So okay. Right, right. <laughs> so, I was, so I was super driven, but I had no real direction. And back then, this was like 1988, 89, um, real estate companies didn't have training. They didn't have, you know, there were a few speakers and uh, and sort of gurus, but there, you know, there was. Remember, there was no YouTube. There was no. <laughs> there was sure. really no internet. Um, and so I, I've always been good at learning by observing. So I would watch other agents, and I learned as much not to do as what to do. I knew a couple things going in. I knew that um, I wasn't the smartest. I wasn't the ex- most experienced. In fact, I was not even high on either one of those. But I, I knew that I could work as hard or harder than most. That got me to a certain level. The other things that I, that I discovered, there were two other things I discovered early on that really, really helped. And one was that if I simply did what I said I was going to do and, and told the truth, I could differentiate myself from a lot of other agents. And I'm not saying that other agents lied, but a lot of agents I saw were afraid to tell people the truth. And then the other two, what's that? Transparency. Yeah. Transparency. It's just, you know, it's, um, I, I, I think I appreciated when people were straight with me. So, you know, I wanted to treat other people that way. And so I wasn't afraid to tell them, Hey, your house is not going to sell for that. Or, you need to do this to the house um, or your house 
smells or you know whatever it was <laughs> um, versus agents you know that would say oh it's great or you know or, or just tell people what they think they want to hear um, and then follow through you know if you just do what you say you're going to do I knew that could actually differentiate me from a lot of agents the other thing that I that I learned early on that being persistent and consistent would would um, allow me to reach a certain level of success. So I was very persistent. I, you know, if there was a lead, man, I was, I was tenacious on doing whatever it took to convert that. And then I was super consistent in, in all my activities, on my schedule and on my follow-up and, on, and my lead generation and all those things. So early on, those were the characteristics, Michael, that, that helped me. L later on, you know, as, as a few years passed, there were two things that I added that, that helped me even to grow faster and bigger. And that was skills and, um, and I'll call it versatility or flexibility. And when I added those two things, then I then my business really started to grow. So, you know, you're, you're talking about really incredible uh, core values to sort of build from something. So, persistence and consistency, incredible. The fact that you were driven and you had the hard work and the follow through. And so that really is, you know, the, the energy that you must have had back then to sort of be, you know, the rookie of the year, you still have a heck of a lot of energy, but um, how do you then take those traits? Because you actually were not only the rookie of the year, but then you became the number one agent in North America for Keller Williams. So the discipline, the skill set, the versatility, that's, you know, the, the obvious sort of uh, uh, play that you needed to have because nobody gets to be number one in the country without that. So there must have been a greater plan for you. So talk to me a little bit about the structure of what you were doing to get to be number one in the country. Yeah, as, as far as a, a greater plan, I... Um... I don't, I don't want to take more credit than I deserve because I don't know that there, <laughs> there was this big plan. What there was, there was a plan and there was a plan every year. And, and that plan was how I was going to achieve my goal for that year. Um, at the end of my first year, I had uh, sold 27 homes and, and, and worked day and night. I mean, I would, the, the broker who recruited me into the business was an ex-Marine. He would get in really early, like at 6.30 in the morning. And, and I was determined to be the first one there. And, and, and I was always the last one to leave. Now, I did that for almost seven days a week for the first year, like blood, sweat, and tears, figured it out, you know, and, and sold 27 homes. At the end of that year, I, I was like, okay, I, I, I want and need to sell more homes so I can make more money. And there is no way I could work any harder or any more than I did. In fact, I don't want to work more right. or harder. Um, so the only solution was to hire someone to do some of the things I was doing so I could focus just more on business. So I hired an assistant. And back then, this is the end of 1989, I was in an office of 60 or 70 agents. I was one of the youngest people in the office. <clears throat> no one had an assistant. In fact, back then, it wasn't really common in the industry. And so I hired an assistant and boy, boy, did I hear it from the other agents, the, the older agents like, Hey, Heller, who do you think you are? You know, the president, you know, hiring an assistant, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and I would look at them and say, well, 
who who do you think you are? You, I just watched you spend the last five hours stuffing them, folding letters and stuffing envelopes. <laughs> I said, I'm going to pay someone to do that so I can be out there selling more houses. Um, and I did. So what happened is, as I kept doing more business, I, I needed more help. And so the, the, I didn't have a concept of a team. There, weren't, there wasn't the concept of teams back then. It was just sort of common sense. If I'm going to do more, I need people to help do things that free me up to focus on the most important things. So my team grew not out of the desire to build a team or have a team. My team grew out of the, out of the need, the necessity to have people to handle certain parts of the business so I could focus on the, the, key, the key parts I focused on, which was lead generation, listing presentations, and negotiations, and, and then had people to do all the other, other aspects. And that just kept evolving and growing and refining. And, and at some point along the way, much farther than it should have taken and much longer than it should have taken. I, then I actually started to become a decent manager and leader. Uh, I went from a horrible one to a decent one to a pretty good one. And as I, as I, as I, as that developed my, um, you know, the, the, the business developed, um, and that just kept happening. And then in, in, in 2008, after like 26 years, I get a phone call one day from the CEO of Keller Williams saying, hey, we've been thinking for several years of, of going international. Um, we haven't done it for two reasons. Number one, Gary you know, wouldn't let us until we got to a certain size, and now we're, we're getting to that size. And number two, we've never found the right person we thought could do it, and we think – you could be that person. Would you be interested in talking about it? So yeah. I want to, I want, I want to make you pause right there. Cause I yeah. want to, I want to explore that part of it because that's fascinating, but I'm not done with you as an agent. <laughs> what was really, really amazing is that, you know, you, you, you have one of the most illustrious careers of anyone in the real estate industry. And, you know, I've had tremendous amount of respect for you, but I mean, I think also the fact that you remember how many homes you sold in your first year, and that you're that grounded and that humble, really, to know where you started from and how it started, to me says a lot about you, Chris, because it's, it's uh, you know, we can talk about you being CEO of several companies, which we will as we continue this conversation, but you remember where it all started. And that says a lot about you, because what you're doing is always serving agents and what you've done in the world on the corporate side. But before we jump over to the corporate side, I want to just ask you, what, you know, first of all, I heard an amazing stat. I heard a stat that your team has sold more than 100 homes a year for the last three decades. Did I get that right? Yeah. We, um, That's insane. I, I, it's, and it's funny. I never I hadn't thought about you know, the fact that I remembered how many homes I sold. I also remember in the second year, I sold 38. In the third year, 53. <laughs> in the fourth year, 71. In the fifth year, 111. And from that, fi- from that fifth year on... Um, you know, never dipped, never dipped down below that. So the, um, I think I, I can attribute that to my business was extremely consistent and it was extremely consistent because my activities were that's extremely right. consistent. And, and that's, you know, and that, that leads to, you know, the right activities lead to, you know, the business happening. So let me ask you, what are the three pieces of advice you would give an agent entering the business today? It's changed from when you and I were both in the business or still are, but selling in the beginning. 
Yeah, you know, it's a um, great question and it has changed a lot, you know, um, but I think there's, a, I think there's some advice I could give a new agent that would be applicable today as it, as it was 10, 20 or 30 years ago. And that would be, um, and not in order of importance, but there's three or four or five things. So it'd be things like, um, there's lots of ways to do the business. You right. don't need to master them all. You need to master two or three, and then you can add others on. So don't get overwhelmed with all the things you hear and see. Figure out what you like, what you do well, and then focus on that and have someone that can show you how to, how to master that. The other things that I would, other pieces of advice was to, to and this is going to sound very basic and rudimentary, but I believe it's very important, and that is to have a goal, a specific goal, and then have a plan, a 12-year plan, excuse me, a 12-month plan that if you follow it, you will achieve your goal. And so it might, and I, and I always liked having a goal of how many houses I was going to sell. Now, I know what my average commission was per sale. So it was really a dollar goal, like how much income I wanted, but I would break it down to, okay, how many houses would I have to sell to do that? And then on a on a monthly basis, what do I have to be doing? On a weekly basis, what do I have to be doing? And on a daily basis, what do I have to be doing? And then what activities do I have to do to ensure those things happen? So then my focus and a focus of an agent then becomes, okay, on a daily basis, if you follow your, your plan, your schedule, and do the activities you're supposed to do, on a weekly basis, you'll achieve your goal. And if you achieve it on a weekly basis, you'll achieve your monthly goal. And if you do it on a monthly basis, you'll achieve your yearly goal. And to the extent that you don't do that will be the exact, the exact proportion that you miss your goal by. So have a goal, have a plan. Um, the, the next thing, the next piece of advice is mindset is, is probably 90% of, of what it takes for, for someone to be successful in this business. It's your, your attitude, your approach, your expectations. Um, that's going to determine your, your level of success or your level of struggle. And that's something that we all have control over. Now, it's also way easier said than done. You know, developing the discipline to develop a strong mindset so that on a daily basis, you do the things you know you need to be doing, even on the days you don't want to or you don't feel like it, is something very few master and very few um, do well. But again, to the extent that an agent's able to do that, um, the better off they're going to be. And mindset includes a lot of things, not just the daily discipline of, of doing the activities you should be doing, but also, you know, how you react to adversity. You know, there is sure. this, this, you have to like roller coasters to be in this business or at <laughs> least know how to, hey, at least know how to deal with them effectively. Um, and, you know, and how you react to setbacks and how quickly you recover and how resilient you become. Um, those are the th things I think are timeless regardless of how the business has changed and how we do business. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful reminder. You know, I've always often said on this podcast that success is a math equation, right? And so you figure out what you want to do and what that goal is, as you were saying, and literally exactly what you were saying is break it down by month, break it down by week, break it down by day. And then you figure out what you're supposed to be doing to get to that end goal. And it literally is a math equation. It is, it, it, it is so true. 
And so let me get back to where you were going with this. And thank you for that. And so you were actually now talking about moving over to the corporate side when they were looking at you for Keller Williams Worldwide. Tell me about that story. What made you switch to the corporate side? You know, I, um, I always had this sort of feeling or thought deep down that what I was doing was preparing me for something else. I just didn't know what that something else was, right? It was never a goal to become an executive. It was never a goal to, to become a CEO. It was never a goal to, um, to build a real estate company internationally. <laughs> um, what, I, what I knew because I, because I experienced it time and time again was that, and, and maybe because I was shy by nature or introverted, but also I had this, this belief that I never wanted to, um, to ask for something. And, this, and I'm sure this was to my detriment at times, but I never wanted to ask for something or uh, try to sell someone on something. I wanted, I wanted to get such good results that someone would, would say, hey, we want to talk to you about this. You know, that, that results would create opportunities. And so I would, um, I'll, I'll give you an example of this because it just popped into my head. I was, so Mike Ferry was the, the, the premier real estate trainer and guru sure. during mo- many of those years. And he would have this big annual event and he would have agents up on stage on the, pa- on the panel. And I know agents would write him, would talk to him, would say, hey, you should put me up there. I deserve to be up there. I could never bring myself to do that. But I wanted to be up there. I had a burning desire to be up there just because I felt like I, I deserved it. And that's, that's a goal. And that's, a, that's the pinnacle. Um, so my, my solution was, hey, I'm going to get such incredible results that he's not going to not be able to put me up there that he's going to recognize or enough people are going to say, Hey, you got to, you got to talk to this guy in San Diego. So back to the, back to the story of international, I, I always had this feeling everything I was doing was going to prepare me for something else. And that if I just kept getting great results, opportunities would present themselves. It was just sort of a, a knowing or a belief and sure enough, out of the blue, um, I get this phone call, you know, saying, hey, I know you're going to be in Austin next week for our event. When you come, this is what we want to talk to you about and, and, and see if it might be something you're interested in. And I, and I remember saying, well, I can tell you right now I'm interested. <laughs> now, I don't really know why those words came out of my mouth. I didn't even know what I was saying I was interested in. You know, I didn't... I, Building a uh, building a company internationally, I had I had zero experience. Had never thought about it. Um, our company had had no experience in it. But I instantly was like, "Yes, I was interested." And when I reflect back, I think it was two things that that caused that. One was I like a challenge. I'm the type of person if you tell me I can't do it, um, it'll get done. <laughs> and and this seemed like as close to impossible as anything else I could imagine at the time, like sure. almost, almost like bumping up against impossible. And yeah. so it was this big, big challenge was going to be really hard. So that 
uh, that I liked. Um, and, and I also had the belief that, that this would be a, could be a big opportunity. <laughs> and it was, um, you know, and at this stage, you know, I, I could have kept, you know, doing listing presentations and listing houses and helping lots of people. But, um, you know, I was, I was ready for a, a new challenge. You know, I wasn't, I don't want to say I was bored, but I was probably, probably getting a little complacent and maybe a little, a little bored. And, and so it was this, this new challenge, this new opportunity. that had. Where are you going to go when you become the number one agent in the country, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, uh, yeah, well, that's that's a funny story too. So I was the, it was like I don't know the third quarter of the year, and I'm actually the number two agent in the company, and the number one agent for some reason leaves the company and goes out on his own, and so I ended up finishing number one, um, thanks to number one leaving. So are you sure there wasn't like a Tanya Harding story in here somewhere? No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't take him out at the knees. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. Though. Yeah. But, you know, you grew Keller Williams globally. Oh, my God. into such an impressive scale. What were some of the greatest challenges in, in doing that sort of early on, especially? Well, wow. There were a lot. I mean, early on, again, no one in the company had any experience or any desire to do it. They're like, hey, we chose you for two reasons. Number one, we believe you have uh, as close to unlimited bandwidth as as anyone we've ever met. Actually, there were three reasons they said. Number two, we, we know that you're a great business person and you have total integrity. And number three, we don't want to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was just like, I was just thrown onto my own. So yeah. I bring my assistant with me and okay, we're going to figure this out. So I, I end up hiring a part-time guy to do some research and he, um, and, and my thought is, okay, I need to figure out where, what countries are going to do. So my main research was him like doing all this, like, um, uh, you know, demographic research in all the countries. And we listed all the countries and then we put them in an order of like where we thought we'd go and, and, you know, like tier one countries and tier two and tier three, tier four. Meanwhile, while he's doing that, I'm trying to learn about how real estate's being done. <laughs> now, I got that phone call in 2008. I actually didn't start the role till 2010 because it was, I had to, I had to get my business ready and Keller Williams wasn't quite ready. So for two years, what I would do is um, it, I would, I was just started doing research. I would call, I would call real estate companies in different countries. And usually I would call it like a franchise, uh, a century 21 franchise or Remax or Coal Banker. <laughs> and I would say, you know, I'd call one in France and I'd say, Hey, um, my wife has gotten a job. We're being relocated. I sell real estate here in the U.S. And I was thinking when we move, maybe I'll sell real estate there. Can, can you tell me how that would work? And so I would learn about, you know, how, how they do it there. And I'd also then in the conversation, ask them questions like, well, hey, how did you, I noticed you're a, you know, you're, you bought a franchise from an American company. What, what caused you to do that? And what do you like about it and what don't you like? And, and I started to hear a lot of recurring themes and, and I, and that number one um, was a great way to learn things, but also started to get me excited because I was starting to, to sort of develop what, what our value proposition would be 
and, and how we would differentiate ourselves. <laughs> so, so then I start in 2010 and now it's, now the challenges are, how, how do we do it? Like what, like what are the legally, how do you do it? What are the tax implications? So the first thing I had to do was create an agreement that someone could sign that would allow them to, um, to build, uh, to own a, you know, a master franchise. And I, I had, um, I'd contacted, when we made the announcement, a couple of people reached out that you probably know, um, a gentleman named Bill Hunt, a gentleman named Michael Galbert, who at, sure. at, at different times worked at, at Rilogy. Yep. Um, another guy named Scott Schuber. Schuber. Yep. Um, and, and so I, I had a couple of them come to Austin and paid them to just spend time with me and, like, and learn from them. And they also introduced me to a lot of people around the country. And, and that was, that was a great opportunity to learn, you know, what they did, how they did it, what worked, what didn't work. But I, I then, you know, then it was, okay, well, I need to have an agreement. We're going to, we made the decision. We're going to, it's going to be a franchise. It'll be a, like a master license agreement. I had to figure out how we were going to build that agreement. So I, I asked around and to find out, you know, which, and which, law firms would be the best ones to talk to. So, you know, one of the, there's, there's some major law firms that operate, you know, globally. And um, I remember um, reading about uh, DLA, DLA Piper, one of the big ones and researched and found out who the guy was that did a lot of their franchise agreements for companies. He was out of Chicago. And so started having lots of calls with him, uh, gave him our, I said, what do I need to know? Like, what, 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 what are the questions I'm going to have to have answers to? So I remember he sent me like 20 pages of, of questions. <laughs> like, how, how are you going to do this? How are you going to address this? And, and at the same time, I gave him our U.S. franchise agreement. And we just sort of started working through that. And this took like a year to come up with a, an agreement that we could, you know, go to market with. And it was, that was painful because, you know, um, <laughs> for me spending time on legal stuff in oh, lots God. of meetings is like yes. it was like going to the dentist yeah uh, and so that was one of the big things and then it was our model what how are we going to make our model work because our model in the u.s was very specific to how we do things here was based on a high volume low margin model with, with a heavy growth model with lots of agents that would in, a, in an office that would allow you to profit share and have it still be viable, you know, for the owner of the company and, and for the agents and the company itself. And, and I, you know, as I learned about real estate in other areas, they don't, in, in a lot of countries, they have large offices, but in a lot of countries, they don't. A real estate office might be two or three or five people, not 200 or 300 or 500 like we had in Keller Williams in the States. So I had to figure out what we would change to our model to make it work in other countries. So I, I remember going to a, um, the equivalent of a board meeting um, with Gary and the other executives and saying, hey, here's, here's what we're going to do. Here's why we're going to do it. And here's what it means we'd have to change. And, and some of the execs were like, no way you can't do that. That's the, the foundation of our company. And we, you know, we built our company on this and that won't, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, but we, it won't, it won't work in these countries. And here's why. And, and finally Gary just stepped in and said, you know what, that's really smart. And don't be surprised if we don't do that here in North America someday. And, and so I got the green light to, 
okay, here's the model we're going to go with and here's how we're going to do it. Um, and then just started reaching out through contacts that were shared with me and, and doing research in countries and finding out who the, the biggest real estate companies were. I had this, I had this suspicion that the, the best prospects for to build a real estate company in another country would not necessarily be the most successful companies, but some of the key people in those companies. Precisely um, right. Yeah, yeah. Not, not necessarily the owner, but number two or number three, who was really responsible for building it, but didn't own it. And, and I could provide them with an opportunity where they could own it and do it themselves. And so those are the people I targeted. I love that because that was really an incredible blueprint. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm listening, I'm going through a lot of that now. Right. And so right. it's uh, it, it really is an interesting journey to go through, but I want to ask you, Chris, what's the greatest lesson you've ever learned in your career thus far? Oh, that's a, man, I learn lessons every day. <laughs> and, and typically the greatest ones are the most painful ones. Um, wow. The greatest lesson. It's hard. You know, whenever I get asked the question, what's the most or the number yeah. one or the greatest, it's always the hardest one. Cause I, so I'll, I'll, I don't know if this is the greatest one, Michael, but the, the one that, pops into my head is from a book I read years ago. Um, and, and that is the, the, the secret to getting whatever you want is having the willingness to do whatever it takes. Oh, I and, love that. And that doesn't, you know, the willingness to do whatever it takes, like within, within the boundaries, right. Of you course. know, it's ethical and, and your know, moral boundaries and it's legal, but, but, having the willingness to run through a wall if that's what it takes. doesn't mean you have to run through the wall. You have to be willing to do it and you, and you have to act in accordance with that. So that's, that's, been, a, that's been a valuable lesson. You know, there, the others, um, you know, there's just tons of lessons. I mean, uh, so many. I like that. That's a great mantra. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I could go on and on, but yes, lots of, lots of lessons. And I'm, and I'm only about a third way through your career. <laughs> <laughs> so you were the CEO of uh, Mellow Home. Tell me about that company. Yeah, so, I, um, so after building Worldwide, I became the CEO of Keller Williams and eventually left Keller Williams in like, uh, I think it was April of 2017. And didn't know what I was going to do and, and decided I'm not going to rush into anything. I'm going to let, let the right things sort of show up, which was hard for me. Like it was the first time in my life on a daily basis. I didn't have something that I was doing and, and clear total clarity on where I was going. And it was a, it was a really good exercise for me to go through. Um, I had, while I was a CEO of Keller Williams, I'd met, uh, uh, Loan Depot, which was the second largest non-bank lender in the country, the, the fifth largest lender in the country, big successful company. And we were going to do a deal. And they contacted me um, early in 2017 and we were going to get together again. And then they contacted me and I just left Keller Williams. And, and, the, and the executive I was talking to said, hey, well, okay, if you're ever in you know, this part of Orange County, you should stop by. We'd love to talk to you about, you know, the industry and your thoughts and, and ideas. I said, sure. 
well, several months later, I'm going to be up there. And I remembered him saying that. So I just called him and said, hey, I'm actually going to be in the area if you want to meet. He said, yeah, that'd be great. So we set up a time to meet. I walk in and he goes, uh, hey, good to see you, blah, blah, blah. He says, we're going to go up um, and meet with um, the CEO in, uh, in his office. Well, I had... I did zero preparation because right? I, I wasn't looking for anything. So I didn't even know who the CEO was. Like, I didn't even know, I didn't, I didn't know his name. I didn't know anything. And so next thing you know, we're walking into his big office and, you know, this guy is a, you know, a billionaire, self-made. This is his third company. He's been in the industry for over 30 years, started as a loan officer and just a, you know, a, a really successful guy. And I walk into his office and, I go to sit down, I look over and on his credenza is a, a model of a fishing boat. And then above it is a picture of a you know, fish and stuff. And I sort of stopped like halfway into my seat and looked over and said, um, you fish? And he goes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah. I go, yeah. And we spent the next half hour talking about fishing. We both grew up in the same area. We probably were on some of the same boats fishing. Um, and he, I come to find out is, probably the number one like sport fishing enthusiast in the country he has a fleet of fishing boats has owned the largest sport fishing boat in the world. Um, and this is his passion. Oh my gosh. So, so meanwhile, he and I are talking about fishing for a half hour and the executive that sort of introduced us is probably just sitting there going, Oh my God, what are these guys doing? So anyways, <laughs> then we get on to, then we get on to talking about real estate. Well, you know, what do you, you know, he's asking me, what do you, what do you see? What do you, you know, and I started talking, just, you know, just talking about it. And, and he, he goes, you know, people don't talk like you in, in your industry. People don't think like you think we, you know, we need to spend more time. We need, I need to, we need to talk more, you know, would you be willing to, you know, have dinner, you know, sometimes I said, sure. So I left and he scheduled a dinner and continued the conversation. And he said, I, I, you know, I, I want to, I want to talk more. We, how about, you know, let me get a hold of you in a few weeks and we'll meet again. And we did that. And at about the sixth meeting, um, you know, and, and, you know, like the meeting before that, he said, wow, there's enough of a heartbeat here and this is exciting. We need to keep talking. So at about the sixth one, he uh, said, Hey, would you, would you consider, you know, either, as a consultant or full time or something, you know, come in to work with us. I think we could build something that'd be really exciting. And I was like, you know, look at if it's a big enough opportunity and it's the right situation. Yeah. I'd consider it. So to make a long story short, after nine or 10 one-on-one -on -one meetings, um, I decided to join him and, and be the CEO of a company that he was, uh, that he started, uh, called Mellow Home, which was a sister company to Loan Depot, that would be the company that we would build, build real estate services, basically um, any service for a homeowners, you know, real estate, home and, in, you know, insurance, um, home maintenance, uh, home improvement, all under this brand called Mellow Home. And, and I, and that was exciting. It was a big opportunity. And, um, and uh, so I said, yeah, I'll do that. And so I went to work for him. And, and that was in the uh, beginning of 2018. I love that. So, you know, it all started from fishing boats, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and, the fa yeah, and I don't even know why I called them to say, hey, I'm going to be in the area. It's yeah. just, 
those things that that happened and um you know it's just with the trajectory yeah. <laughs> yeah and and it's also that you know that sort of the universe at work of absolutely you know taking you in the right direction if you allow it and and that was one of my lessons for that that period of time where i just allowed sort of things to show up and and yep. didn't decide i was going to force what i was going to do next I love that. Well, now, okay. So now bring me to your current project of Ojo Labs. Talk to me a little bit about that vision. Yeah. So while I was the CEO of Keller Williams also, I met the yeah. founders of Ojo Labs and <clears throat> really liked the two founders and really liked what they were doing and what they were working on and thought it had, I thought it was perfect for, for the real estate industry. <clears throat> and we started to work on a, an enterprise deal and relationship between Ojo and Keller Williams. And when I left Keller Williams, that, that all evaporated. But they, we hit it off really well. And they said, hey, would you consider being an advisor for us? Um, you know, you got the, the real estate experience and, and we got the other experience, but not the real estate experience. I said, sure. So I became an advisor and they were in Austin and I had my home in Austin and I also had my place in Southern California. So whenever I was in Austin, I would spend time with their company and help help them. And and then they said, "Hey, we would you consider being on the board? I think we could really use you." Um, I said, "Sure." So I became a board member. Um, I became an investor along the way. And then in uh, April of, I guess it would have been 2019. Uh, yeah, April 2019, we were, me and the founder, um, the CEO were at a, a conference and, and we were close and we'd become friends and we were talking and we were, it was on a break and we were walking to the grocery store to get some water or something. And he's asking me about different things. And he goes, Hey, I think I'm interviewing you right now. <laughs> and I sort of chuckled and um, he said, look at, we're, we're big enough where we could really use you full time. And, you know, you said that, um, you know, you might be open to other things. And that was in April. And by July, I decided to join them full time. Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. So I have another question for you. You are just, you know, it's sort of like you're a legend in this industry, Chris. Where do you see the industry going in the next five years? And what do you see your role in that? Um. So at the, when you say industry, that what I think of, I, I sort of think of a couple different levels. I think at the brokerage level, I think at the agent level and, and, and even at the consumer level. <clears throat> so things are, things are rapidly changing. They're changing, I think, faster than most people in the industry realize. And part of that is because the typical agent, what they do on a daily basis now isn't a whole lot different than what they did five years ago. I mean, some of some of the technology they leverage is different. Some of their processes may be different, but for the most part, it's sort of the same drill. So they go, "Nah, eh, nothing's really changed." But it actually is changing. Um, everything's changing. Consumer preference, consumer behavior, consumer expectations are changing, and those changes <clears throat> um, will drive those changes coupled with technological advances will, will, will drive change. And, and, and that's happening in the next five years. Uh, I think we will see fewer agents than we see now, just cause I don't think there'll be the need. And I also think that the, 
the ed, the um, continued development of teams or or national brokerages like like EXP um, will will continue to grow beca- because of uh, the the structure. It's harder and harder for an individual agent to break into the business on their own or to achieve a high level of success on their own. Like when I did it, it was a pretty level playing field. No one really had an advantage over anyone else because we all had the same resources and they were limited resources and, and there was only so much you could do. Now <clears throat> with, with most consumers starting their process online, uh, you, could, you could wait to meet someone offline, but, but more and more consumers are, are being siphoned away uh, at, at the top of the funnel that you'll never get to meet. And so you have to have, you have to have the ability to meet them where they are and, and teams and companies have those resources. Individual agents typically don't. Um, so I think there'll be, there'll be fewer agents. I think we'll, I think there will all agents will always be needed and, and valued as advisors and counselors and, 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 uh, in someone that can uh, be the voice of reason in helping facilitate negotiations and transactions. I mean, I just, I just bought a vacation place in a market that, you know, I, I relied on the local agent heavily. Um, okay. I know how to negotiate. I know how sure. to assess value, but when, but if you don't know the ins and outs of the local market and there's, and it doesn't matter how much research I do online. Right. It's, it's just like, if I want to, if, if I have a physical ailment and I want to remedy that, I can, I can research day and night online and get more information than I could ever absorb. But that doesn't mean I'm the one that's best suited to, to self-diagnose and self-treat, right? Um, and the same thing goes for consumers. So I think there's always that need for agents. Now, at the same time, consumer expectations, as I mentioned, are, tra- are, are changing and changing rapidly. Like we, as consumers, we have expectations that are rapidly changing and and we want things faster we want things easier we want things more transparently we want to save time or energy or money um and it's it's, it will be incumbent upon agents to meet or exceed those those expectations as as we move forward Um, for traditional brokerages i think the next five years are going to be look at there with every challenge there's opportunity so i don't want this to sound like doom and gloom because the right the, the smart people will look at the challenges and create opportunities out of them. But the ones that don't are going to find it harder and harder to be profitable or viable. Like if you have a, a brick and mortar office and you're a traditional brokerage, um, retaining agents, recruiting agents, um, maintaining your margins will become harder and harder as time goes on for a lot of reasons. One of which is more of the commission dollars will will be split beyond you and your agent. Uh, there are more and more companies and, and Ojo is one of them um, that are meeting consumers before you do. And, and we're introducing the consumer to you and you're sharing a referral fee with us for that introduction. Whether it's Zillow, Home light, you know, we could, I could rattle off a dozen of them. Those companies aren't going to go away. Those platforms aren't going to go away. So uh, 
agents and brokerages, a, a bigger percentage of their deals will have a referral fee attached to them, which means that that reduces the, the margins that they would normally be getting. So they will have to <laughs> figure out other revenue streams, other ways to you know, maintain profitability. And for some, that'll be hard to do. Um, and then technology-wise, we will continue to see new technology. We will continue to see, you know, COVID has, has accelerated and amplified the, the use of technology and, and how uh, consumers and agents are leveraging it. And that will continue on, which for some will make them more efficient, will make them more effective. For others, will make them obsolete. Chris, it's amazing insight, especially with all of your history. And I think you're spot on on everything. I mean, you see this from an incredible lens. But I have one final question for you. It's a fun one. If you weren't doing real estate, what would you be doing? So when I was younger, I'd say, um, which was the same thing I told my ninth grade uh, counselor in, in high school when asked, what do you want to do? you know, when you grow up. And my answer was, I, I want to be a professional athlete. And she said, I remember her saying, oh, great. What, what type? I was like, nah, either football, baseball, or basketball. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was probably like a year later that reality set in that, set in that I was not going to be a professional athlete. Um, so <laughs> I, I like competitive things and I love sports. Uh, if I wasn't in real estate right now, I would be um, – I would find some company or in some industry where I could make a big impact and help them grow and be successful um, or help other people, you know, grow and be successful. Um, I like being part of a team. I like, uh, I like winning as a team. Um, you know, at some stage when I grow up, you know, serving, uh, you know, serving on boards or being um, helping companies, uh, you know, more startups. You know, I, I am on several advisory boards. I know you are. Um, but, you know, doing that um, more would be a cool thing. But I have, a, I have a lot to accomplish before that happens. Absolutely. And listen, Chris, I'm glad you picked real estate. It, uh, <laughs> you are an incredible mentor, an incredible leader in our industry. And I am so thankful to you for sitting with me and, and being so candid with uh, your history, your conversations, your advice. You know, the, uh, I've been very fortunate that the podcast has had a life of its own. We're now distributed in over 60 countries. So you're touching a lot of people and your, your stories are wonderful. So thank you so much for your leadership, your friendship, and for being on the show today, my friend. Hey, Michael, thanks for having me. Thank you for the kind words. I'm, I'm glad we're not on video because you see me turn red several times as you said some of the things you've said. Um, but uh, but I, I appreciate the opportunity and I hope, uh, hey, if this helps one person, it was worth our time. That's, that's it, brother. Thank you. And thank you for all of you for listening. This has been the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Thank you. Thank you.